Plague Marines, and welcome to episode 39 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast about role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the game system created by Fantasy Flight Games. In each of our episodes, we cover a different game system, and today we'll be covering Black Crusade. But before we jump into our episode details, let's have a quick chat about our recent gaming, because this is actually our first show of 2017, if you're sort of yep. following us live. If you're not, then this is our first 2017 show. Uh, and we managed to get a bit of gaming in sort of over the holiday period. Like normally, we sort of have a group which plays every couple of weeks to sort of three to four weeks sometimes in, in, yeah. in poor times. But I think we managed to get like four or five games in three weeks. We just pounded through some games. Yeah, well, it helps that quite a few people were on holiday from work. And exactly right. Yeah. And this was our, um, our Dungeons and Dragons game, yeah. uh, the one that Mike was so cynical about in the past, but seems to have you know adopted now to the point where I tried to always a different game. Mike's like. No, I'd rather play D&D. So, <laughs> you're an old school tragic Mike. You've gotten, you, know, yeah. you, felt, you felt the bug of 3.5 D&D again, have you? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah? I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just it's just playing fun. Okay, yeah, I mean... There, there's no difficult moral choices. There's no, <laughs> there's no be- angsty roleplay. It's just fun. There's barely any roleplaying, really, at all. Well, it's it's, it's, like it's really basically a series of combat strewn together by a tenuous plot. Uh, and we are using miniatures for it, so yeah. yeah it's, but sometimes it's, that's all you want. It's more like a tactical war game, you know. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, 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 everyone's enjoying it. My wife joined in last time as well, which was good. But uh, and we're actually playing again tomorrow night as we record as well. So yes, yeah. Uh, I also ran my first Scion game of the year as well, uh, which was I was horribly unprepared for because we'd had a good sort of I don't know maybe could be up to eight weeks since we previously played. Maybe not. Maybe like seven or eight weeks. But anyway. Uh, I'd sort of forgotten where we'd ended the last game and I, I sent an email around to the players saying, you know, do you remember where we ended off the last game? And I didn't really get a direct response. What I got was the players started via Facebook Messenger playing their characters to sort of replan their next move. So I had to sort of get back into the stream of the game again before I really started to drive the plot in any particular direction. But yeah, still a fun game and I actually might get a second game of that in, in January as well because I've got a lot of travel coming up in February and particularly in Maze a disaster for me, by the way. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, we were all. I was also supposed to run uh, my Star Wars game via Roll Twenty just last night. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, about two hours before the game, one of the players got quite sick, and although I'm not averse to running without a particular without a player, that particular character was not essential, but certainly the the opportunity for that character to shine was really coming up in the next in the next sort of part of the adventure. So I decided to basically say to the rest of the players, let's just you know let it go for a week or something and we'll, we'll do it again later on and make sure that play is actually available so they can sort of get the chance to get the most out of their character. Yeah. So, but yeah, a bit of gaming anyway. So, and a lot of my first carcassone with my five-year-old as well over the, over the holiday period. He oh, absolutely I... loves that. And Uno, and Uno. So, yeah. <laughs> he's getting pretty good at catching me out when I, when I forget to say Uno as well. So, <laughs> Okay. Anyway, uh, tonight's episode, it's a Black Crusade, as I mentioned. Uh, we've got a nice short news segment we're going to be talking about uh, a bit more about our Black Crusade campaign we introduced in our last Black Crusade episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Plague Marine uh, uh, archetype, do our plot hooks and war gear section. I'm going to review a resource, not actually 40k related, but sort of tied into, uh, in, in a way, which I'll explain when we get to it, but it's sort of, I'll, I'll leave, leave you in suspense until then in the show. Are you reviewing the new resource called a computer? No. <laughs> Uh, then my discussion topic is, uh, and it's sort of driven from the fact that there's going to be a few sort of noble elements of this uh, show. I want to talk a little bit about um, what it means to embrace chaos for some people as well, and, and how that sort of affects your character too. So, yeah. Uh, then we'll do our regular community section and finish off the show. Okay. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. 
So the only news in this past few weeks was really from Games Workshop because everything sort of went silent from Eternal Crusade after the December patch drop we talked about before with a new um, PvE mode and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and obviously FFG have got less than two months left on their license, so I don't expect anything else from them really before everything vanishes from the webpage. Yeah. Uh, but on the Games Workshop side, we've seen uh, a large number of new or pending releases all associated with this Gathering Storm, The Fall of Cadia uh, setting and, and I mean so what I noticed was first off you've got the materials for this you've got a few new figures um, mainly in the, like the command figures as such yeah mostly it's characters but yeah that's it yeah and then you've got these armies you can buy and talking in Australian dollars we're talking nearly $2,000 for each army I mean even yeah. US dollars you're talking $1,500 for each army uh, some of them are a little bit odd as well the way they put it together like yeah. there's, there's a special offer where you can buy this fantastic space marine army yeah and the bonus you get is a signed abaddon poster yeah well that's it i mean they all, all, it, the, all like, the armies come with a, a signed uh poster from the fall of cadia that are limited edition as well so yeah, which is great but i can't really think of too many hardcore space marine fans who drop two thousand dollars on an army and then go wow a chaos poster <laughs> i mean i remember uh going into a gw store a few years back when they had They'd gotten a whole bunch of these uh, really high-quality lithographs of various, you know, marines and something, yeah. and each of them had some some odd way of getting it. Such they only had one of each, and the first person to achieve whatever it was for that lithograph got the lithograph. So it might have been the first person to spend, you know, uh, five thousand dollars in the store might have got you know, one of the higher ones and such, you know, or the first person to buy two. Uh, starter army boxes or that sort of stuff, you know, or the first yeah. person to win this particular tournament, or you know, they had all those things to, to win these very, th- and they were good quality lithographs as well. And yeah, I see yeah, this yeah. is the same as well. But I mean, is that what you wanted to talk about, the Fall of Katie, or is there something? No, more no, okay. there's something a little bit more to it than. Okay, go on. Then. The floor is yours. Um, uh, mostly it's about the return of the Primarchs. Yeah, th- th- that's what they're building towards, and in some ways, I, I can totally understand it. I mean, they they released pro- um. You know, uh, the Thousand Suns Primarch, whose name has completely escaped me for some reason, Magnus the Red. Yes. Which is great. From a sales point of view, it makes perfect sense. You know, sales and marketing, everyone wants this beautiful model, set it on their table and everything. But I have a problem with actually having it with stats in the game. Same with the Primarchs. These are supposed to be these mythological heroes of, of lore, you know. Magnus the Red will use an example. You know, this was the second most powerful human psyker in all history. Yes. You know, a Primarch as well, so physically one of the greatest, most powerful beings ever created. And he was elevated to the rank of Demon Prince. So physically, massive stature. He spent the last 10,000 years dwelling in the Eye of Terror, learning nothing but sorcerer's powers, sitting at Zinch's right hand. Great. Well, when you stop putting stats and points to these things and sitting them on the table, they kind of lose that... Luster? Yeah, I, I mean, what do you really do when Magnus the Red gets killed by, by a Lehman Russ? And I'm not talking about Lehman Russ, the primer. I'm talking about <laughs> Lehman Russ, a tank. Oh, he got hit by a Vindicator shot. Oh, a D-cannon killed him. You know, it, it kind of strips away that these are mythical creatures of immense, almost immeasurable power. But, I mean, I haven't heard you have this conversation with regards to the Horus Heresy series. Well, that's a bit different, because yeah. at, the, at the time of the Horus Heresy, they weren't these mythical, powerful creatures, and they did get killed, and they were all there. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as we get, you know, Rowboat Girly Man come back, <laughs> people are going to start going, oh, well, he's not really all that great, but he should be. I mean, he was a tactical genius, and it just kind of... I know, I feel it's just going to cheapen the power of these things. Yeah. It's sort of like, in D&D games, putting stats to gods and letting players fight them. I mean, where do you go from there? What is there after this? Yeah. And I just feel that, from a model point of view, release, sure, release them as special collector's edition models. That's what Games Workshop wanted to do anyway. Yeah. But giving them stats? I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. It's funny, it reminded me the other day I saw a meme online that uh, had like a, you know, a, a young boy talking to his father and he's saying, Dad, why did we name Daisy Daisy? And he says, well, you know, your mother's favourite thing is Daisy, so we decided to call her Daisy. 
why do you ask, Robert you know, Gulliman, <laughs> leader of the Ultramarines, Fist of Ultramar, <laughs> creator of the Codex? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so so your main issue is really the return of the Primarchs in this. I mean, yeah. they, they, I think that after what they did with um, uh, with fantasy, yeah. uh, and, and we're now talking, um, it's. it's Two years? No, no, no. I'm talking about how many years GW's been doing Warhammer 4. Well, well, this is their, their 30th anniversary 30th for 40Ks anniversary. this right. year. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I can sort of see why they're trying to, I guess, bring it up a notch. Yeah. Uh, and you might find that in the process they actually kill some of those Primarchs off. Maybe with a Lehman Russ. You know, maybe well, with a D-Cannon, you know. <laughs> this is the other thing, you know. You bring them back as, oh, I have finally returned and now I've been killed. It's not really anything special, is it? I mean, it's not like they've been there all this time and they've been a pivotal figure they're just like oh I'm back oh I'm dead <laughs> and everyone's like well I didn't even know you were still alive well, we'll see I mean there, there is uh, like fiction associated with oh, the yeah. uh, Fall of Cadia as well so I think I'm, I'm sure the fiction will be very good uh, apparently the the end times fiction for fantasy was excellent yeah um, so we'll see um, okay no worries oh that's it for the news yeah. uh, let's uh, move on knowledge is power hide it well so if you cast your mind back to episode 74, which was our last Black Crusade episode, because we've run short of sort of system topics to talk about, we decided to instead take a leaf out of um, the Total Party Thrill podcast and talk about our own campaign experiences. And yep. we'll, we'll keep those you know, particular to the game system we're covering at the time. Uh, so the last time we chatted about this, we sort of introduced the, the characters of our campaign. Yeah. Uh, so... We had uh, my character, which was uh, Echo. You had uh, what was your character name again? It was um, uh, Seneth, uh, the the Colonel, and uh, Reed's character was. Okay, right, um, why am I suddenly struggling with all these names? It's uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name. All right, we'll come back to that anyway. I'll, I'll refer back to my notes. Uh, but we'd established basically that the reason our group had been brought together was that there was a uh, a Chaos Warlord. Um, who had uh, come across a series of rituals that would allow him to gain access to a, a warp power that effectively would grant wishes. Uh, and so he had basically contracted us to do the early parts of the ritual that would allow um, the final ritual to be completed. And you know, the, the, the deal, therefore, was that we would also gain access to this power when the time came. And of course, everybody expected betrayal, us of him, him of us, etc., etc. Carcos, I believe his name was as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, what happened then was uh, we we knew that the next sort of phase of the game would be a series of four, um, I guess, vignette stories where we would focus on each part of the. There were four four lead up parts, and each part was clearly dedicated to one of the chaos gods. Yeah. Uh, and the first one we decided to do because I don't think it was sort of something we decided in character. It was more something we decided out of character, and it just yeah, you know, the GM said, "Okay, this is the order he gives you the rituals in." But the first one we decided to do was Nurgle's challenge, which was a, a ritual known as to bathe in Nurgle's caress. Yeah. And uh, even though my character at the time, I, I, I always planned to have the character become a Nurgle follower. Uh, at this point in time, was still unaligned. Uh, that being said, I think with the other characters, it was much more clear what their alignment leanings were as such. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it seemed obvious that my character should sort of have the Nurgle one. And uh, at the same time, we all sort of agreed that, okay, whoever whoever is the follower of the god whose ritual we're currently sort of working on, they should sort of have the... The command of this mission, they should. Uh, it's the. It's not the exalted, the anointed, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, the um, anointed. The anointed in, in a uh, in a compact. So, each individual part was a compact. Could be dedicated to the god differently, as such, and it was all part of a larger scale thing. Uh, and so, the way this worked was, uh, GM Matt gave us a, a series of quick descriptions of worlds, and he said, "Okay, so this is the 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 aim of this ritual is to. Uh, it has to be associated with some form of." rebirth you know um you know, destruction and rebirth or, or something along those lines it has to be something ephemeral that that links whatever happens to the creation of this ritual and the ritual has to have an individual focus person focus point and whether they know it or not that person their focus ritual is eventually doomed 
you know, they will basically after they after they become the sort of not the anointed in the scope the, of the, the, compact, the focus of the, the focus of this ritual. Eventually, they will explode into a their own new virulent plague as such. Uh, and so, the objectives we had were uh, find a location where we could be engaged in some form of mass rebirth uh, and find an individual to effectively either willingly or unwillingly be infected with this great plague of Nurgle. Uh, and that would allow us to complete the ritual to bathe in Nurgle's caress. Uh, so getting back to what I was saying before, Mac, Mac basically gave us a whole bunch of single paragraph descriptions of potential locations and why there was the potential for rebirth there. So yeah, he went to all the books. He looked at stuff from the Ascalon sector, stuff from the Clixis sector, stuff from the Chronos Expanse, stuff from the Screaming Vortex, and just picked you know what were basically single or two paragraph descriptions in the books of more odd worlds and said, okay, here you go, we can just use these, and you can pick one you want, and we'll just flesh it out a bit more. Yeah. Uh, and so in this case, we chose, uh, in the Ascalon sector, a world called uh, Thursus X178, which was described as a mining colony. Uh, according to the description that uh, the GM gave us, basically the world had, through administrative omission, accidentally not received several deliveries of uh, food supplies, and was now under immense strain because the population, you know, as, as a mining world, it didn't have much in terms of farmable land. Um, you know, the, the population risk turning to things like cannibalism. Uh, and at this point in time, uh, we knew that the Imperium had worked out its mistake and was quickly sort of hurrying to try and uh, uh, get food to the planet uh, because it also needed to collect the mineral wealth of the planet too. Uh, and... The reason we chose that planet, and well, I chose it, but everyone else agreed with it, <laughs> uh, and what we decided to do there was to sort of say, okay, well, the rebirth is, this is currently an imperial world. Um, it currently serves the imperial war machine as a, as a mining operation, uh, but there is reason for the local population to be discontent because they are... Starving. Starving, exactly right, and you know, facing problems like cannibalism. Uh, and so we are going to go to this world and convince them that the Imperium has forgotten them, you know, or that they are somehow, you know, the, the 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 focal point of a bad joke, and that when the Imperium does eventually show up, that uh, well, we we, we sort of decided we, we sort of thought, okay, could we throw them into open revolt? Yes, we could, but the problem with that is that we're talking about a mining world here, so we're not talking about large PDFs or yeah. massive amounts of soldiers. Eventually, Especially when they're all starving. Exactly right. Yeah. So when the Imperium turns up with food and they say, no, we're going to overthrow the Emperor. Yeah, you know, the next thing that happens is a you know, group of Imperial Guard turn up and the whole thing's over. So we thought, rather than just making this a complete, you know, traitorous world, we're actually going to seed corruption into the world. We're going to birth a new cult, um, and that new cult will see the, the rebirth of this world from an Imperial world eventually, through, you know, through the scope of being a hidden cult world, into being a chaos world within the Ascalon sector, and, and hopefully in the future, a foothold for our own eventual Black Crusade yeah. In, into the region. Uh, and so the early part of the game was uh, a lot of, I guess, social engineering, which was which was difficult for a while because my character, you know, being a no character, didn't have a lot of fellowship or a lot of social skills. And I was trying to lead a lot of it. I mean, I certainly had characters with me that were um, socially inclined. Fifi, that was, that was Reed's yeah, character yeah, name, yeah. Fifi. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you're trying to coax people towards the either overt or less overt worship of a chaos god it's difficult to have a follower of a different god convince them into that as well so i'm not going to say it was easy the other part was that the the figurehead of this world was basically the ecclesiarch um and that they were quite loyal so it was a case of how do we sort of corrupt corrupt them spin them around etc and and the conversation about this session is going to go into what i want to talk about later in the show about the concept of embracing chaos because at the end of the day, what we did was we seeded corruption in the form of... Well, first off, we seeded disease into the population. Um, you know, so the c- disease combined with starvation. But you know, we, the disease was seeded through corrupted foodstuffs as well. So people were no longer starving, but they were now viru- virulent plague carriers as such. You know. uh, we also um, attempted to corrupt the materials that were being drawn out of the mines. The idea being that since we didn't want the plan to go into open revolt straight away, we wanted it to be one where the Imperium sort of came along and they thought everything was good. We wanted to make sure that the first shipment of ore that went back to the Imperium 
from this planet also carry the taint of chaos with it as well. Now, with each of the sort of four, I guess, scenarios that we played out, like one for each of the rituals, we basically came to roughly two sessions for each one. The one that probably could have gone to three, uh, except for the Nurgle one, one, which only was for a single session. So I don't know whether we just were successfully lucky or streamlined or... I mean, I think probably what it was was we hadn't yet really found our stride into playing the characters yet. So there was less sort of personal motivation goals and more sort of like let's just get this ritual done yeah um so yeah, the old, sorry yeah yeah okay. that's that. it yeah so the upshot of all this was that the world itself was corrupted in terms of there was a you know that the most of the leadership of the world was assumed by the cult we created we even renamed the world to breathless uh, at the time uh the ecclesiarch became the focal point of the ritual we he wasn't really aware that this was a chaos ritual, which you know it was pretty good given that we had chaos marines there, etc. But uh, I think that you actually because because we, we were going out at the side of the extreme. Yeah, I, I disguised my armor in in a big set of robes. Yes, and I claimed to be a I can't remember. I made up some some crappy some crappy uh, some crappy name for a, a chapter for a chapter. I can't okay. even yeah. remember what the name was, but. Yeah, decked out my armour in some in some fancy stuff and made it so that most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. That's it, yeah. And because my character at the time still had sororitas power armor as well, that sort of stuff, you know. So it was not hard, I guess, to play on the faith side of the thing. But yeah, we managed to make the, the priest the focal point as ritual. So when we left the planet, we knew that the priest would continue interacting with the imperial forces that came. And then one day at some point in the future, he would get very sick and explode into a new sort of uh, uh, viral outbreak. And... Yep. Uh, uh, we also, well, my character took a number of people off the planet. Like basically, we sort of had it developed a new disease, which pretty much would be over time um, explosively fatal to each individual person that had it, and then infect other people around them. And so, I kept a number, large number of people as incubators on Fifi's ship, much to her chagrin, yeah. uh, in order to to keep the the plague alive. And so, occasionally, we, we'd ca- catch people from the crew and expose them again, so that there was always enough sort of yeah. people to ensure there was. A continuation of this play, if I, in case I needed it, and it, it was used. It was used a couple well. more times. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, and so after that first that, that first ritual session, we were successful. You know, we we got our first real big awards of corruption and uh, infamy and XP, uh, and, and because the the GM intended this to be a relatively short campaign to the number of sessions, they were big awards each time as well. Like talking yeah. twenty plus infamy you know, awards, you know, corruption in similar sort of numbers as well. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, it was, and then we were basically asked to basically come up with ideas what we wanted to do on the ship as we progressed to the next one, and, and we'll talk about the yeah. next the next scenario as as part of our next Black Crusade episode. Yeah, so, okay, sounds let's, good. Let's get going. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. Okay, so let's move on to our career section, and this time we're talking about the Plague Marine archetype from the Tome of Decay fits nicely with the whole Nerva ritual previously as well. Yeah. Uh, and Mike, this is, so, so you, I don't think, because you, you, the first time you played Black Crusade, you played a Thousand Sun Sorcerer. Yep. And then the next time you were going to play, you were going to play an Emperor's Children, but you then changed to a Thousand Sun Sorcerer as well, because you just liked yep. it. So, so, so Plague Marine never entered into your consideration as a, I mean, because you, I mean, you've got a Nerva army as far as... Yeah, it did actually. Um, the, the Plague Marine certainly did. The only thing was, I, I, I feel the Plague Marines, the way they're presented in the book, they're very much a blunt tool. And I mean, yeah. I mean it even just says that itself in the book. It yeah. says, you know, these aren't, aren't the sort of people who go and seed corruption and, and build cults. <laughs> they go and they kill things, which isn't necessarily Nurgle's aim. Nurgle yeah. isn't all about actually killing things. Yeah. He's about corrupting them and making them just wish they were dead. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I sort of decided against it. Okay. No worries. So, in terms of the role of the Plague Marine in the Screaming Vortex, it's actually, whereas a lot of the other archetypes in the books actually really quite clearly define this is what they sort of do. It's not that much in terms of the Plague Marine. Like you said, they're, they're being they're, a sort of, being a blunt, blunt instrument, yeah, there's not a lot of sort of, I guess, backstory behind them. So what we can ascertain is that they are only the most dedicated of Nurgle's followers that are space marines, basically. So yeah. plenty, of, plenty of Chaos Space Marines worship Nurgle. Only the, most, only the dedicated few actually become Plague Marines. Plague Marines, yeah. There's actually a ritual involved. So yeah. 
Originally, all the Plague Marines were created from the Death Guard. Yep. When the Death Guard Legion got becalmed in the warp on their way to Earth. Oh, it's like not... All Death Guard became Plague Marines, did they? Not all Death Guard became Plague Marines, and not all Plague Marines are Death Guard. Yeah. So the original ones were a large amount of the Death Guard becalmed in the warp, and Typhus released the Destroyer Plague upon them. Yeah. Um, because he was totally dedicated to Nurgle. At the time, Mortarian and the Death Guard were not dedicated to Chaos. They were fighting on Curse's side, but they didn't really know much about Chaos or Demons or Nurgle. Yeah. Uh, except for Typhus, who was dedicated to Nurgle and always had been even before he became a Marine. Um, in the end, Mortarian had to make a deal to save his Legion, and he dedicated his Legion and everyone in it and himself to Nurgle. Yeah. They became Plague Marines. That's how it started. And some sorcerers of Nurgle know the rituals involved to make more Plague Marines. Yeah, they, went, they went from an awesome colour scheme to a lacklustre colour scheme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the green and bone colour scheme was... It's a good colour scheme. It's, it's a good colour scheme. Yeah, that's it. Uh, now, Plague Marines are virtually unstoppable in combat. You know, they're, they're, they're deemed to be nigh unkillable, uh, which is hard to represent in a role-playing game because pretty much everything in a role-playing game is, especially when it's a player character, needs to be killable as such. Needs but to be killable, yeah. I guess the main thing is they get access to a lot of talents and such which help them oh, build it, on that, that mythos and it such. It is very difficult to kill a Plague Marine. Exactly right, yes. Uh, and I guess their main sort of goal is that they, they exist to continue spreading the the suffering, disease and rot um, that Nurgle brings, effectively. You know, yeah. I mean, there, there is... When we talk about Nurgle in the past, we spoke about the fact that there is an element of Nurgle that rolls around hope, you know, um, and th- that's not really part of the Plague Marines' purview. Not really. No, they, 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 they don't bring any of Nurgle's positivity along with them. It's no, of... <laughs> they, they, they sort of represent more the negative side of that, which is the crushing despair of fighting against a foe that you cannot beat. Exactly right, yeah. So the Plague Marines' traits, they get three of them. So the first one is abominable physiology, which means that they are immune to all diseases, poisons, and damage from the toxic weapon quality. Yeah. Which is pretty good in itself. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then they've got hideous resilience, which means that as a reaction, they can take a minus 10 toughness test. Every degree of success on that test reduces the damage they take from the next hit against the character by one. And if that hit reduces zero damage, they gain fear one against the person that tried to injure them. Yeah. So that's all right. I mean... They're not going to be using their, their reaction to dodge probably because they've got, they got a penalty to agility. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I almost see like, like dodge and parry being a bit useless for them because they are so sort of like... Well, the, the main thing is it, it's awesome if you're in Terminator armor. The, if you're a Terminator, this is probably one of the best abilities you can have because you can't dodge. Yeah. You can't do it and your reaction may as well be used to just soak it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the last thing they get is infectious miasma. Uh, which means they can spend an infamy point to release a cloud of flies for the next D5 plus one rounds. Every character, friend or foe within 10 meters, suffers a single 1D10 energy damage hit with the toxic quality, ignoring armor that's not environmentally sealed. Yep. So. Good when you're in the thick of it amongst a whole bunch of plebs. So when it comes to actually building a Plague Marine, look at their characteristics. You've got to agree that toughness is probably their, their main stick. Yeah, toughness is their number one. That's it, yeah. Uh, I also thought strength. Uh, you know, they are, they are usually quite physically imposing. Um, yeah, not like your Thousand Suns character was at all. Yeah. <laughs> Even for Marine, they are. Yeah, I, I guess solid is a word I would use to sort of, yeah, you know, sort of visualise them. Uh, what do you think between weapon skill or ballistic skill? Ballistic skill. Yeah? Del- definitely ballistic. Mainly because the majority of the ballistic skill talents yep. are actually Nurgle alike. That's true. Yeah, I, I put ballistic skill as well. I mean, I can see a reason for weapon skill because there are... It does actually call out in the book that you know, some playing marines exist just to bring death. Yep. You know, but others exist to bring pain and suffering. You know, they, they don't outright kill their foes. They leave them maimed yeah, on they, the battlefield. They, they, they get such. into close combat with their plague knife and they cut bits yeah, off. Exactly right, yeah. So, you know, with the plague knife, I, I could see use weapon skill as well. Oh, I mean, yeah, but, definitely, yeah. 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 Uh, I think that willpower is one because, I mean, it's not quite the same way that, that corners with Zinch, but certainly followers of Nurgle 
are uh, not positively inclined Well, they're, towards... they're diametrically opposed to zinc. Exactly right, yeah. yeah so, so they should have a good resistance against zinc, is the fact. That's it. And lastly, I'd actually say intelligence, because a lot of skills that they would use will actually work off intelligence as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Agility is a dump stat. Agility is definitely... And, and fellowship. Fellowship, yeah. definitely dump stats. <laughs> Uh, in terms of skills, I couldn't come up with a lot of skills. I had a lot of lot of talents, not a lot of skills. So, skills I picked: uh, interrogation, yeah. in- intimidation, uh, Medicaid, yeah. parry if you want a defensive skill rather than dodge. Uh, probably scholastic law chemistry. Probably even forbidden law chemistry as well. Yeah, uh, and then probably survival. Yeah, I thought they were probably the. I mean, and maybe maybe something like trade armor if you want to help buff yourself in terms of your. Yeah, if you if you want to keep your gear in ramshackle appearance but still working. <laughs> exactly right. Yes, <laughs> it's cosmetic rust only. It's cosmetic rust only. It's not structural. It's actually spray painted on. That's it. Yes. Uh, okay, but talents wise, so first I put an armor monger. That's why you would potentially look at trade armor because it does get that you effectively get your armor with a higher um, armor value. Uh, Cold hearted. Now, not that I know many people who try to seduce play marines, but you know they probably. Hey, they're, they're, I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> Slanesh has many perversions. Yeah, um, probably either combat formation or combat sense, depending on what's better between your perception and intelligence, because your agility is not going to be doing any favors for initiative. Yeah. So talking about one of those would be good. Um, crack shot or crippling strike, depending on whether your weapon or ballistic skill base, because that gives you bonus to your critical damage, and I, I think it's the it's those critical wounds. That a plague marine really shoots for. You yeah. know, it's like it's not about not about taking off all the wounds fast. It's about hacking off limbs and uh, and making know, them and, just wish they were dead. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, uh, die hard is a you know classic for pretty um, much a must. That's isn't it? it. Yeah, uh, disturbing voice. I thought goes along with, with well with most noble followers, especially with the big imposing ones. Yeah, uh, jaded. <laughs> Can't imagine them being swayed by many basic horrors. Yeah, uh, never die. Also proxy because I think that. Uh, to actually interrogate someone who is like this would be almost pointless. Yeah. Um, uh, pity the weak. If you if you did want to get into a sort of command skill, I think pity the weak is probably a good way to go. Definitely resistances, multiple resistances. Uh, sound constitution. The one you. Would, I mean, it's it's great for Nurgle because it's a Nurgle online thing. Sound constitution, so you can get your your um, points up and keep your alignment. Uh, strong-minded. You need, you need resistant psychic powers for that, but I think it goes well with what we mentioned before. They not that favorably inclined as each. Takedown, I put down as one where... And takedown is actually one of the optional ones you get at creation. Uh, the idea that if you are the sort of follower who doesn't choose to kill your opponents, who chooses to instead lead them main on the battlefield, that takedown is a way to ensure they survive... Survive to, 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 to spread their diseases. Yeah, be inflicted horrible injury upon. Um, true grit, I always love yeah. for... Um, true grit, again, is pretty much a must for this it. character yeah. as soon as you've got the XP for it. And if you're going with the serving voice, probably Warcry. Yeah. 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 So. There's um, Slanesh Town, I can't remember what it's called, which allows you to use your infamy in place of fellowship for followers. Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah. I would suggest a house rule that you can, if you take that talent, you're also allowed to use your infamy to determine whether you can buy followers. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, and we'll talk about this later on when we talk about our Black Crusade game, but definitely there was a point where I decided that my character needs a follower, but I've got to buy three fellowship increases just to get even yeah. a minor follower. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the talent. I think mm-hmm. it's Dark Majesty or something like that. Yeah, it's called Better, better to Be Feared Than Loved. Let's make up a name for it. There yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I, I think that really that should have been in the talent was you can use this to use it as the stat that yeah. bases followers off of. I mean, not just for their loyalty, but also for whether you can have them. Yeah. That's, that's just a suggestion for a house rule if you're running a game and you are going to have Nurgle followers in it. Or even corn followers, because otherwise, buying up your fellowship when it's an opposed advance, yep. it's going to be really expensive Killer. for those characters, exactly right. and yeah. probably set them back in their getting aligned, also that they can take access of one of the main factors of the game. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess a couple of points of advice on if you're playing a plague marine, how to sort of really do it. First off, um, remember that that they are absolutely dedicated to Nurgle. Uh, I mean, the level of, level of sort of worship they have really means that they're not like, oh, I have these complex goals and I, I try to support Nurgle where I can. No, it's no, no, like, they're fanatically yeah. devoted to Nurgle. <laughs> exactly right, yes. Yeah, you don't look like the way they do without being an absolute fanatic about it. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, you've got to find the line for your cage between where they stand on, are they just about inflicting death, or are they all about inflicting suffering? Yeah. And the third one I wanted to say here is that uh, there is the idea that I would attach to a plague marine of the benevolent killer. So we speak about uh, plague marines are only sort of producing the, um, the the negative sides of Nurgle, but there are some sort of psychotic tendencies that you could apply that basically where people believe that um, you know I'm inflicting suffering because these people want to suffer. You know uh, the, the classic example I would use is the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Yeah, is that when you look at the scenes in which they talk about why they you know they, they sort of believe that the reason the person opened the box is because they want to suffer. So, you know, you opened the box, we came, like you asked us to, now we're going to give you the suffering that you that you requested, you know, because clearly there are people out here who just want to suffer before my blade and, and you know, carries these. So that oh, absolutely. You... I mean, why would you follow the emperor unless you wanted to suffer? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, yes. look at what he asks of his followers. <laughs> so, yeah, you could actually play the psychotic plague marine who honestly believes that um, he's actually bringing betterment to the galaxy through through suffering absolutely I mean if they manage to survive his diseases and plagues they'll be stronger and better for it of course they won't and maybe by inflicting these diseases and plagues they will find the true happiness of following (laughs) Nurgle it's like I mean we were playing D&D there's actually in Forgotten Realms there's a Forgotten Realms god who is basically the god of suffering and his worshippers believe that there is actually a finite amount of suffering in the universe so by inflicting it on themselves or you know the faithful, they effectively draw the suffering out of the universe onto a, a, a key few as such. So yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> exactly right. But anyway, it's saying, you can apply the same sort of logic here with a plate ring potentially. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. All right, then let's keep going. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. Okay, for the plot hook today, I don't have a, I don't have a specific plot hook. There's something I want to talk about in terms of uh, running a Black Crusade campaign. Yeah. And I'm going to relate this back to a different role-playing game. So you played Unknown Armies, Mike? No. You never actually played Unknown Armies? I never played Unknown Armies. Oh, my Armies. God. Unknown Armies is like... It's like it's you. <laughs> it's, it's, it, the, game, the game is like everything you love about so many role-playing games rolled into one. Uh, okay, so um, in Unknown Armies, they've basically got this concept of three tiers of play. Okay, so there's what they call street, global, and cosmic. Yeah. So the idea is that at a street-level game... Uh, you're playing people who are just starting to understand that the world is different from the way they've always thought. Because it's, because Unknown Armies is a game of um, sort of urban urban magic and uh, uh, strangeness as such. You know, I, I guess it's it's the idea of what happens if you took the concepts of mythological magic and applied modern day modern day ideas to those as such. Anyway, so at a street level campaign, the characters are just starting to understand that the world is a strange place and now we're being drawn, drawn into this sort of side of the world that most people don't know exists yeah uh, then at a global level campaign uh, your characters are now a part of that world you know so they are people who have actually come to learn magic or become an avatar of um, one of the concepts of such you know so they are, they are now movers and shakers within that uh, sort of in, in that, that other world uh, and a cosmic campaign is the idea that your characters are the drivers. You know, so at the end of the day, there are key forces competing. You know, throughout the, the various sort of types of reality, and you are one of those you know, leading. You know, the, the player characters are they, they have they, they hold the fate of, of millions in their hands through through the powers they actually have. So, and the idea is you can run a campaign at any of those three levels. It's sort of got ideas for starting at any of those levels, and you or you can start off at one and sort of progress through the others as such. I want to bring this back as an analogy to, to Black Crusade um, because more than any of the other games, in Black Crusade, your your warband is an isolated group. Uh, yeah, in Road Trader, your crew is isolated, but they're, but they're surrounded by tens of thousands of followers and still part of the greater Imperial machine. Whereas in the Screaming Vortex, you know, literally every person is either a serf to someone else or they are out on their own pretty much at the start. Yeah. And... Um, I can see an interesting way of, of um, doing a, a Black Crusade campaign would be literally to start off in that, you know, the whole scope of the campaign at the start is literally just this city. You know, the player characters are in this city and everything that they are working towards right now is in this city. You know, so as a GM, you're talking in scope of areas of the city, key people in the city, you think about ways to get around, place, you know, 
key locations are the key to the characters, so safe houses, information places as such. And the whole campaign scope is just on this city as such. Yeah. Uh, and eventually the player carries get to the point where they are so powerful, they now rule this city, you know, or they raise this city, or whatever the case is. You know, the, the city in itself is now a small scope to them. So then you grow the campaign to one of the whole world, or the whole system, where you're no longer thinking in terms of suburbs of the city, you're now thinking in terms of continents, or... You know, moons and such and once once again the group's sort of goals are all tied around how do they increase their influence within the expanded scope of your campaign now which is on a much lighter scale than previously you know a, a city now is just a, a a resource and you know we're actually playing you know th- throughout space throughout the world whatever the case may be and then likewise at some point you know they've now conquered this whole system and so you now grow it to expand to they're now part of the Screaming Vortex. Yep. So I, I think that this would work well with a all-human heretic campaign. I mean, Space Marines, especially ones with things like Ancient Warrior, are so upwardly mobile that the concept of spending a long time doing eating to a, into just a, a small area as a city would be a little bit odd. But uh, certainly if you were talking about, you know, human cultures rising up from the very you know start of... Um, the, you know, the minimum spot of, of um, notoriety up to greatness as such. I can see that working well to sort of really limit the campaign scope. I mean, what do you think, Mike? Is it, is, is it a campaign idea? Yeah, I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could also do a slight variation. You don't have to start in a Screaming Vortex. You could, say, start in the Eye of Terror. Yeah. Everyone's on a planet or a city. They want to get away. They've heard of this mythical place called the Screaming Vortex where... Obviously, there aren't quite as many power structures in place. You don't have to worry. Maybe they're looking for a ritual to get from the city they're in to the Screaming Vortex. Same sort of thing, but it's a case of you've got a defined point and it lets you move them into the Screaming Vortex and say, you don't know anyone here, you're starting from scratch. Yeah, that's it. So it's just an idea of of growing your campaign in stages where you... it, It can be very hard to run a campaign when the group has the one of the Screaming Vortex from the very start. Yeah. You know, uh, because there are limitations to travel in the Screaming Vortex. There are mobility issues for some people. So if you just give them carte blanche to, you know, okay, you guys are done on this planet, you now go to this planet, uh, and it's as simple as a hangway with that, you do take some of the mystique out of the location as well. Yeah. So whether it's the Screaming Vortex, whatever other part of the Imperium you choose to create or set it in. Just some ideas anyway. So yeah. maybe they'll help your own campaign. Let's keep going. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. For our war gear, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Plague Marine, the Plague Knife. Yes. That's, that's what I want to cover off. Uh, so this is a, a weapon that, which is, I guess, ideally archetypical to the Plague Marine. Yes. Uh, there's no reason that, you know, that, that it has a rarity, it can be a table anywhere else, but I guess one of the things that makes it difficult is it is an exotic melee weapon, which means you do need to buy the, the talent to use it, which Plague Marines get for free. And I guess stats-wise, it's nice, but I don't know if it's like a whole talent-wise nice, unless you know for your, for your fluff. And I, I have to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So it does D10 rending. So basically, it's as good as a sword. Uh, as good as a sword, or as good as a, a marine, a Stardust combat knife. Well, yeah, a Stardust combat knife. As well. That's it. Yeah. Uh, pen two. Um, but I guess where it shines are its traits. So it's got uh, felling four, toxic three, and concussive one. Concussive one, I guess, is like I guess that that's designed to sort of produce an outcome rather than demonstrate the effect that it does knock you out. I mean, that's part, I guess it could be part of the part of the disease. Uh, but, I, I think I, as a GM, I'd say that if they're concussed, yeah. they're actually vomiting yeah, or, they're, they're, or stumbling yeah. around under the effects of some sort of overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, filling four is very effective, especially if you're oh. going to be fighting other space marines as a fighting is pretty much anything that's tough and difficult to kill. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. For, as a, I'd say that as a GM, I'd probably almost even if people bought the or wanted to buy the talent for it, I'd suggest it's limited to worshippers of Nurgle. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like the whole thing in D and D where rogues actually used to test to see if they accidentally poison themselves or um, yeah, I, poison I, their I, weapons as such. It's I, like 
I guess that's part of it, really. I yeah. mean, if you're carrying around a blade which is tainted by Nurgle and carries hideous festering diseases on the blade, if you nick your finger with this thing, <laughs> you're going to know about it, and you will probably become a follower of Nurgle quite quickly. <laughs> so many things you've been saying today, actually, I'm going to allude back to later on in the show as well, when we talk about Embracing yeah. Chaos. So uh, thank you for, for, for seeing, seeing it, even though with it, even unknowingly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so the, the, as a as a plague marine, you will get a plague knife. You have the the skill for it. But yeah. any worshipper of Nurgle might want to consider this as a weapon. Uh, that being said, it's an exotic weapon efficiency is a relatively high cost in order to use it. Yeah, but, um, I mean to compare this to a power sword, for example. If yeah. you're fighting against something with unnatural toughness that this is going to take down, and it's got more than four points, yeah, it is as good as a power sword. Yeah. Really, not as good damage-wise, unless you get off the toxic quality. Yeah. So you stab another marine with this thing, he's going to be at minus four to his toughness bonus, yep. which is equivalent to having a plus four penetration. Pen makes it equivalent of pen six, roughly. Yep. Um, D10 damage, they've got to test their toughness at minus 30, or they're going to take another D10 damage as well. Yep. So damage-wise, he's going to put out a fair bit of damage, so long as... They fail their toughness test. Yeah. So, I don't think if you're a Plague Marine and you're not particularly focused on combat, I don't think this is a bad choice. If you're very focused on close combat, maybe go for something a little bit stronger. Yeah. Now, fluff-wise, is the Plague Knife like a sacred weapon to a Plague Marine? No, it's just the combat knife that they had when they turned into a Plague Marine. Okay, anyway, so, so you know, if they need to cut a piece of rope or, you know, whatever, they, they would still... It's not like they, they would... This is only bought out for flensing. No. And they have the regular knife. This is the, as far as I'm aware, no. So it's, 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 just, it's, a, it's as much a tool as anything else for, to a Plague Marine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, Plague Marines are very practical to start with anyway. They've always have been. I mean, especially the Death Guard ones. They're yeah. always a very practical Marines. They didn't really care for combat honours and all that sort of garbage. They were more get in there and kill things, do yeah. your actual job. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No worries. Okay, let's keep going. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Okay, on to our review. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, this is not a Warhammer 40k product at all, role-playing or otherwise. But I guess it does tie into the fact that the origins of this game are, you know, a miniatures war game. And cast your mind back three years, all the way back to episode eight of this show, where we spoke about the benefit of using uh, miniatures in the role-playing game, you can certainly do that. We've been playing a D&D campaign recently with a lot of miniatures. It's actually helped a lot. It has helped a lot, definitely. We've, we've done 40k miniatures in the past. We've done, we did Dark Heresy miniatures in the past. Okay. If you look at the banner on our Facebook page, it's got some of our original miniatures from our, from our, um, our Dark Heresy game. But uh, anyway, the reason, what I want to talk about now is an online resource called Hero Forge. So have you seen Hero Forge, Mike? Yes. Have you used it before? Yeah. So Hero Forge is a, a service which has come around that allows you to basically uh, design your own miniature so uh, from a, a large selection of base body items base head items base you know similar to doing I guess a character in an MMO RPG where you design the character you know how they look as such down to like you know the clothing the weapons uh, the poses and, and I quite like the fact that in in Hero Forge a lot of the poses are actually quite dynamic so for example um uh, I was playing around with one and I wanted to use a uh, I wanted to have a bow user previously so I, I picked a pose that was obviously made for a bow user so when they've got a bow in their hand they have you know, one arm outstretched you know, hand clasped around the bow other arm drawn back like it's pulling a uh, pulling an arrow but if you apply the same pose to a character which is wielding a sword then the out, they still have the outstretched arm but rather than clasping like it's clasping a bow is they have the sword extended like it's a challenge uh, likewise, the hand drawn back is in a fist rather than in a drawing action. So it's actually all the poses are dynamic based upon what you're actually... Uh, what you're actually doing. Choosing to use. That's yeah. it. There's like the... One of them is the classic three-point hero landing where they sort of land on you know a, a knee, a foot, and one hand on the ground. But if you put a weapon in both hands, then they sort of have the... the, the, the both hands are slightly raised above the ground with the weapons clearing the ground. So it, once again, it's all dynamic. Uh, and they're not that expensive, actually. If you're talking about... So, look at D&D... That's not D&D. Look at uh, 40k miniatures. If you buy a box of five miniatures these days in Australia, it's going to cost you about 80 bucks. Yeah. So you're looking, what's that, like um, about $15 or 
my math is failing me today. Uh, it's 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 more than it's more than fifteen dollars a minute. Anyway. Sixteen dollars a minute. There you go. Uh, and the base cost for these is nineteen ninety nine US. Um, there are multiple different materials you can get them in. You can get the the, the typical sort of white powdery. 3D printed result for $19.99. That's the standard price. It, it gets more expensive. You start adding mounts and that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's a plastic option, like so more like a conventional sort of grey plastic miniature, yep. uh, which is $10 more. Uh, and so much more durable and much more sort of detail over the, the standard 3D print. And then you can also go more expensive options like using brass, that sort of stuff, you know, quite yep. expensive there. Uh, and this is all for a standard 30 mil scale. So conventional sort of miniature wargaming scale. 28 mil. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but and you can also do larger scales if, if they're more sort of display Sorry. figures, basically. Exaggerated 25. Yeah, so that's the Warhammer expression. Um, <laughs> 28 mils is pretty much standard now. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done a lot in terms of looking at ways you can convert actual 40k miniatures to be used for the RPGs. You know, it's quite straightforward with, you know, saying Inquisitional figures because there's quite a lot of those you can get. Yeah. Um, you might want to Chaos use Marines for your. Yeah, yeah like it, it, exactly game. right. Easy but to it, do. Yeah, but I mean, if you're just talking about most of the games, give you basically servants of the of the Imperium as such. So things like Rogue Trader, for example, or even Heretics in in Black Crusade, you know, they are generic. I guess you call them almost almost generic sci-fi figures. Yeah. And if you go through the options in Hero Forge, you can see that there are some which are obviously 40k derivatives. Yeah. So like you select the submachine gun. Uh, option for weapon and that looks a lot like a bolt pistol yeah it, it's got it's got an extra clip which sticks out the side for some reason but a single swipe of the knife and it's just a bolt pistol yeah so <laughs> well obviously it's a bolt pistol with the uh ex- extra magazine yes <laughs> uh yeah so, so there's definitely multiple parts now you're not gonna be building a space marine with it you know if you want a space marine you have to go for the for the standard forty uh, k figures and such. But there's thousands of space marines and weapons and things you can do, and they're good multi part kits. You can you can build pretty much whatever you want. That's for it, them, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I've been actually I want to bring up because I spent a bit of time this week ordering miniatures for our D and D campaign. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that because the next game I plan to run once we finish with D and D is a sci fi game. So I was also going through looking at what sort of sci fi character I was going. Oh. This looks 40k. This looks 40k. You know, so uh, it's certainly Hero Forge is a very good option for for you if um, if you want to bring miniatures to the table and you want to have them quite quite nicely customized to what your actual group is. Yeah, not quite. They don't have all the sort of options like the sort of witch hunters hats and that sort of stuff, but certainly you could do quite a bit with it as well. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, check it out. It's HeroForge.com, but we'll also put a, a link in our show notes too. Okay. So, all right, let's keep going. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so onto this discussion about embracing chaos. And this is... A, a, what I want to talk about here is where I think the GM needs to put the rules aside to embrace the aesthetic of what a chaos worshipper is. Yeah. And I'm going to use my own experiences of playing a worshipper of Nurgle, especially because we've got a lot of Nurgle in this episode. I thought you were about to say, I'm going to use my own experiences of worshipping chaos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's, that's private James stuff, okay? We, okay. Don't, okay. We don't talk about that on the air. Uh, no, so one thing that my character did a lot of was um, deliberately expose themselves to uh, viruses, to injury to unnecessary medical procedures all in the nature of all as part of trying to contemplate the nature of Nurgle as such yeah and in this case the GM was happy to sort of you know hand wave it away that okay yes I understand that you're um, you know exposing yourself to deadly diseases the offshoot of that is gaining corruption because you're becoming closer to your uh, the god that you worship whereas in reality he could just easily say okay Make a toughness test. Oh, you fail. You start taking wounds. Eventually, you'll die. You know. So, the the conventional rules for those diseases were pushed aside because the character in this case, as a worshipper of that, was effectively embracing um, the, the, the sort of becoming attached to that that sort of um, that ideal and such. Now, it was less of a problem once I got stuff of nightmares yeah. because you know things like diseases and poisons were, were less of a concern. Mm. But I think that. As a GM of Black Crusade, uh, you need to give your players a lot of scope when it comes to 
how they choose to demonstrate the fact that the character is a devout worshipper of the Chaos Gods. Um, and it's, it's actually, even, even amongst the players at the table, it's, it's almost a part of the social contract. You know, for a long time in the Black Crusade campaign, we were certain that your character was going to betray us. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure for a long time in the Black Crusade campaign, you were certain your character was going to betray us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah th- th- there wasn't really an opportunity at the end of the day. I suppose there might have been some. Oh, there, there <laughs> were plenty of opportunities, but yeah. at the end of the day, I always saw it as the character would always look at it and go, well, I can still get more out of this if they're still alive and still around. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, you're, not, you're not just betraying for betrayal's sake. Yeah, like, yeah you know, I mean... I'm, I'm in this as long as it's profitable for me. Yeah, because otherwise it just wouldn't be fun for everyone else or for me particularly, because at some point you guys get sick of it and you just kill my character. Yeah. It's not particularly fun having your character killed for that sort of thing. So, you know, it was perhaps a little bit metagamey of me to do it that way, but it was for the quality of the game overall yeah, yeah. Uh, likewise uh, think about a, a worshipper of, of corn yeah you know if a worshipper of corn throws themselves into a melee with dozens upon dozens of what are effectively mooks as a GM I would narrate the slaughter that you know ensues I wouldn't be rolling you know 30 initiatives you know or yeah. even, even using hordes if it was if it was unimportant to the plot that you know that they have to fight each of these people individually or destroy the horde. It was just a case of they're demonstrating their martial prowess to become closer to corn, and they have picked an opponent which is beneath them. Uh, then I wouldn't see a problem with narrating what that means to be completely embraced by chaos. It becomes part of that 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 the nature of the character is part of the narrative, yeah. more so than part of the mechanics on the sheet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. Likewise, uh, worshiper of Zinch. I can see a person who has become completely devoted to the Sorcerer God using psychic powers for even the most mundane tasks. Yet I'm not going to be making them make manifestation tests You know, every time they choose to float towards a door and have it open before them when it's irrelevant to what's happening in the plot at the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think, Mike? Do you think this is an important part of Black Crusade? Or? I, I do. I, I think really that you shouldn't be asking people to roll for really basic stuff that's to do with... You know, if you've got a follower of Slanesh who is immensely seductive and you want to seduce a mook, some guy in a bar, just because you can, asking for roles seems a bit silly. You know, same sort of thing if you want to play as each character and you want to obliterate a group of people who are so below you, it doesn't matter. You know, you you question the slaves, they tell you everything they know, and then you vaporise them anyway. (laughs) Do you really need to roll to do that? Not really, because what happens to the slaves after they've told you that information is inconsequential. Yeah. You know, look at it that way. If what they're doing has no real effect on things other than their own narrative, yeah. it's inconsequential, they can narrate it. You can narrate it. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's imagine for a second. So, we'll take us back to our, our own Black Crusade campaign. One of the ideas here was, in between each game, we had the opportunity to sort of discuss what we wanted to do in the, in the downtime. And we were encouraged to write like a, a paragraph of po- prose which described what our character was doing. You know? yep. So the GM was not going to balk if in that, par- in that paragraph he wrote down something which would be potentially... Our character's achieving something potentially harmful to the character as part of creating their storyline. So say, for example, I had a character which who was... Part of his sort of aesthetic was he was horrifically burned. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, because of that, he no longer feared fire. So, in a, a, um, a, a, a intermediary story scene, I weave a narrative whereby the character, um, while talking to someone else, constantly waves their hand through an open flame. You know, um, you know observing as their as their the burnt flesh chisels, and apparently feeling no pain uh, because it's part of their aesthetic as such. But if that same character in the next active session of play says, "I'm going to stand." Right when this crack grenade goes off, because I don't fear the flame. Um, you know, that's not really <laughs> fair, yeah. but it's, they're, over, they're, they're overdoing the aesthetic then as well. So, uh, I mean, the rule of cool has to apply with Black Crusade. Yeah, you know, it, it needs to be where you can um, push the push the rules aside for the scope of for the sake of what would we just be you know cool narration. I think it, it's, it, it helps to contribute a lot to any game where you play evil characters. Yeah, uh, I mean, even uh, speaking about Ambrose's recent D and D experiences prior to 
the current game we're playing, the last game we're playing of D&D, oh, sorry, last game I played D&D, we were all playing evil characters. And some people in the group were sort of like, you know, I'm evil, that means I kill everybody I see. Yeah, um, or rape, <laughs> depending, on, depending on who the player was. Uh, and yeah, where I was going for, like, I'm the more sort of... Um, Subtle, long-term evil. Yeah, no, 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 my character wasn't subtle in terms of evil, but my so my character was a worshipper of an evil goddess of frost. Um, and so, rather than kill people, I would effectively, you know, throw them out of their homes and expose them to the elements, and tell them, yeah, you know, if maybe if you pray to the goddess I do, she might save you too. If not, you'll be dead by dawn. You know, and then I actually wait around to see if they survive till dawn, and say, there you go, you've been judge worthy by by the goddess you know maybe you should forget your old gods and uh <laughs> yeah. well, what have your old gods ever done for you they didn't say they didn't you. keep you alive no that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so, so that that was that was not so much just the you know overtly evil but more the sort of um twisted psychosis of of uh of mentality that you know yeah. it was more it was more more of a a, a a psychotic than it was a just an outright Psycho uh, murder, murderer. You know. Yeah, uh, but I think I think that that's what you need in Black Crusade. You, you you need to be able to get the character extremes out as part of the narrative, so that you're not forced to bring them out as part of the the mechanic side of the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, make sure that that when you start a game, that it, you include it in your social contract. That, you know, I, I want to encourage you guys to be you know really creative with your narrative stories because it helps build your characters. Mythos, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Anyway, that was just, that was my idea about embracing chaos and, and what yeah. it meant to run that in a game. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree with most of that. Most of that? Some of, it, some of it's completely wrong off the wall? <laughs> no, I, I just think that, yeah, you're right. You have to tell the players before the game starts that this is what you want to do. Yeah. You can't really bring it in halfway or just sort of leave it unsaid and then some characters start doing it and others don't because then you're going to have the situation of some characters are going to be more fully fleshed than others. Yeah. And people who didn't do it are going to feel like, oh, well, I didn't know we could do that. I would have built my character a different way. I would have done different things. That's always annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. No we should... Actually, we should talk at some point about retconning as well. You, you, oh, you raised the idea. We need yeah, to... yeah, we definitely need to have a chat about <laughs> retconning. Yeah, okay. I'll put that down for a future show. Yeah. Uh all right then, let's uh, move on to closing out the show, shall we? Okay. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. So at the end of the show, as you always talk about any sort of feedback or reviews that we've received, and we've actually got some reviews this yes. time. Two new five-star reviews on uh, on iTunes. So thank you very much to. First one is someone we've spoken about many times in the show in the past, Mundangerous or Shane, who is the host of the um, Total Party Thrill, or one of the hosts of the Total Party Thrill podcast, and also. The writer of the Mundangerous blog. Yep. I was I was certain he'd already reviewed us in the past, but apparently not. It must just be the chat I've had on Twitter. Yep. But he did get onto uh, onto iTunes and write a very good, very nice review about the show. So I really need to make sure, given I've been going through the back catalogue of his podcast, do the same. Should probably give a do, good do, review. Do the reciprocally yeah. as well. And I keep. I mean, I go to New York all the time, and I know he's, he's New York based. But I'm, I'm I'm more sort of upstate. He's in New York City. I keep meaning to try and plan my trip so I can drop into New York and try and catch up with. With the guys from that show because I, I love the show and I know they listen to us as well. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll do it one day. Yeah, one day, <laughs> exactly. one day. Yeah, uh, and we also got a review as well from uh, Sean Taylor via uh, iTunes as well. So thanks very much to both uh, Shane and Sean for giving us that feedback. Uh, also, in terms of uh, comments, we did get one comment via uh, Facebook about our last episode which is from Rubes Larson. I hope I got the first name right there. I wasn't trying to pronounce it, but he is a Melbourneite. And uh, he uh, liked our conversation about apothecaries on bikes, given that uh, in Melbourne they actually have motorcycle paramedics. Yes, yes, yes. He I... even sent pictures along yeah. the way. <laughs> you know what? They're still useless. <laughs> As I said, you'll be wishing you had one when you want your progenoid glands extracted. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So long as I'm not, you know, in a building. Up a flight of stairs. Uh, anyway, um, if you want to contact the show, you can do so through many ways. Our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at grimdartpodcast. 
And our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Uh, you can also leave a voicemail. You're following the link on the right-hand side of our website. Now, I also want to quickly call out, first off, that the um, on our webpage still going right now is the on our website. On our Facebook page is the poll for the uh, Death Watch characters we described in the last episode. So yep. make sure you get them there. We've got a few votes so far. And uh, uh, the uh, Salamander uh, Tech Priest is currently... Well out, in well, the lead. well out, well out in the lead. But the the dark angel apothecary, the mounted apothecary, is certainly I'm in there sorry, with a good shot. But you know, oh, we're on a space hawk. Great. I take my motorbike. <laughs> what? You might find a motorbike lying around. It could oh be yeah, yeah, just laying around on a space hawk as a motorcycle. Anyway, so there is how that. convenient. There's always a Ford or an inlet. <laughs> Nightboat. Uh, and uh, the thing I wanted to point out was uh, I'd like to get some feedback from people either via you know via a Facebook page, via our Google Plus page. So um, long, long ago, when we first created our website, uh, one of the things that we discussed at the time was, should we put together some forums for the podcast as well? And the reason that we decided not to is because the, the there were already two major forums for the, uh, for the game system. One was the FFG official forums. Yep. And the second one was Dark Rain forums. Yeah. So at the time, um, very well, generously, Messiah side and um, organised for us to have uh, forums on the the Dark Rain forums. Uh, but of course, Dark Rain has now um, gone gone away. Now uh, I know that um, uh, Messiah side now runs the Roll for Heresy website. Uh, but also, I guess the big thing is that I don't think it's been said yet, but it, you can presume that come the end of February this year. The FFG forums will probably close. That's it. So, I would like to know from you what forums do you use for your 40k RPG discussion? So, I mean, there's there's obviously things like Bolter and Chainsword, which is specifically targeted at the war game. But, you know, what are your favorite sites with discussion forums other than the FFG official forums? Because we want to sort of work out, you know, where can we try and direct the community to in the future? As I mean, we talked about the community through through the show, so we want to try and get an idea for where the community is going to be based now, so we can help direct people there and keep the role playing community for this game alive and well going forward. So, yep. if you've got any thoughts on that, if there's other sites you use, such as Roll for Heresy or other sites, please let us know on Facebook or on Google Plus, so that we can start getting an idea for where it is and um, go from there. Yeah. So. Uh, that's it so coming up episode 80 will be an only war show we'll be talking more about our own only war campaign we'll be covering the hunter killer regiment and maybe we should talk about um, retconning there as well yeah I think we should talk about retconning because <laughs> retconning is something that happens in every single game right. doesn't matter how you try to avoid it it always happens at some point alright so thank you for listening tonight I hope you enjoyed the show yep. Mike thank you for taking part once again thank you very much thank um, you for everyone for listening yeah, we will catch you next time this podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Music Alley, music.mibio.com.